Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Speed Technology, the Ask Noah Show starts right now. Phone lines to be a part of the program, 855-450-NOAH. It's 855-450-6624. The email, live at asknoahshow.com. My name is Noah Chalaya. I am your host. Delighted to be here with you as another episode of the Ask Noah Show kicks off this evening. Joining me is my co-host, Mr. Steve Ovens. Welcome in, sir. Good evening, Noah. Have you ever run across, I, I imagine you have, but more and more I run across these things on the internet that I just don't understand. So... There is a, a tweet from, I believe it was Matthew Miller. I follow him on Twitter. And uh, he was making a plea about the fact that people who have 88 in their username better be like 32, 33 years old. <laughs> and and uh, I didn't understand this. And so I'm reading the comments. And apparently, like, 88 has some sort of meaning on the internet that I had no, like, no at all conception that this was a thing. Uh-huh. But apparently, 8 is the... H is the eighth letter in the alphabet, so H H uh, is a callback to the oh yeah 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 okay yeah yeah I see uh, where you're going with this. But I had no idea, and so I replied to his thing. I was like, I don't know. Being from Canada, I assume that they're like Eric Lindros or Joe Sakic or or mm. someone like that. Hashtag NHL. Um, <laughs> literally had I, literally had no idea and. I, uh, that's the honest to God's truth. I look at that and I just assume it's like some player's number or something. Like I always assume there's something um, <laughs> personally significant. Like my wife uses six two six at the end of her usernames because she really likes Stitch. Okay, who is Agent Six Two Six. Clever. Six Two Six. Clever. And, and so, yeah, I I just had one of those moments where I was like. I hadn't a clue. Like, my innocence was stolen. Like, I would have seen somebody with an 88 in their username and not thought anything of it before now. So my, my wife and I went out to dinner, and we are sitting there, and we were having dinner with, with another couple. And, some, and, and somebody that was with us made a comment about how much uh, I trusted my wife, or she trusted us, something to that effect. And both of us were super confused. And uh, so we get out to the car, and we start trying to piece it together. Like, what, what, what did she mean by leaving your phone up? And so we had to go to some younger friends of ours and say, so she said that I, I left my phone laying face up on the table and that was this, this immense sign of trust. And neither one of us could figure that out. And it wasn't until like a younger couple explained to us, well, it's because if you're, you know, up to something, you know, mischievous, then your significant other, you can hide it. If you always put the phone down, if the phone's facing up, then of course they see, you know, messages and stuff like that. I'm like, we live on different planets. Like my yeah. my wife goes in the first thing she does is unlock my phone and goes to help me out. Like, hey, here's who you need to go see. Like, I it just yeah, the world is the the internet and the world and technology is decidedly devolving into something. Sometimes I don't understand. Yeah, no kidding. It's just like, you know, uh, I never. I always tell my wife I'm an old man, but I don't mean that in in the sense of like I'm not with it, but more like I'm my body's breaking down early, kind of old man thing. Sure. Uh, today was my first, wow, I I must be an old man feeling that wasn't related to my body breaking down. How far did you run as an old man today? Yeah. Uh, today I didn't. I've, I've been working in the backyard, so oh. I don't know. I cut down 15 trees or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. You sound like, you sound like a real schmuck just sitting around. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, you know. All right, so we answer some tech qu- questions? 
Uh, I don't know. I was kind of enjoying this. Why don't we just see how this goes? <laughs> <laughs> Our first email comes in from Chris. Chris writes in and says, Hi, Noah and Steve. Love the show and appreciate both of you guys. You both give back so much to the community with your time and knowledge. I'm wondering if either of you have any experience with setting up a third-party router. In this case, a Netgear RAX45 Wi-Fi 6 behind a 5G internet gateway with a ZTE M7801CA provided by TELUS in Canada. The web UI for the TELUS has issued a ZTE 5G modem router and does expose an option to put the modem into a bridged mode. Once enabled, the UI asks you which of the two WAN ports you'd like to configure the bridge connection. The remaining port becomes a non-bridged mode. The problem I'm running into is the following. CGNAT. The CGNAT configuration of the TELUS Rural 5G modem, once connected to bridged WAN port on the TELUS ZTE modem, the Netgear router will get an external TELUS IP binding the CGNAT, of course. My problem is that after approximately 15 minutes, the Netgear router web UI will report no internet. And the wireless devices connected to the Wi-Fi by the Netgear will also start reporting the same no internet connection. A few minutes later, the internet will come up and be restored without any intervention. I know this is due to CGNAT design of the TELUS rural internet service, but I'm wondering if you have any suggestions with getting a third-party router set up behind a 5G modem. The main driver behind the Netgear over the taking the routing functionality are poor performance of the TELUS ZTE modem and lack of user-exposed QoS configurations options and a need to reboot the TELUS every few uh, every few days, it eventually, until the data will flow to a grind to a halt. Thanks again for the wonderful show and for what you both do. So uh, there's a couple of uh, you've got a couple of options here. So the, the first one, Chris, is you might look at something called a cradle point. Cradle point is kind of a go-to standard in the industry when you're trying to get a cellular connection and trying to treat it as a as a regular uh, internet connection. Um, if you so and essentially the way that the cradle point gets around some of these problems is you actually put the sim card into the cradle point and then what it does is it acts as your cellular modem connects out to the internet and then gives you normal routing functions the other thing that i am aware of and i, I so i have a lot of experience with cradle point they're they're very popular in like the pos space i see them a lot with uh, atms oftentimes we'll get uh, tapped to help out with an atm install and the network portion of it is basically plug the network cable into the back of the atm set this little box over here um, but I, I, so I don't have any experience with this next product, but I have heard uh, from a friend of mine that uses it with great success, and that is the Peplink. And the Peplink is essentially a, a a hardware box that allows you to again put the SIM cards for the uh, f for that particular service into the box, and then the Peplink specifically does something in where it can bond those connections together, and then it sends. All, the entire connection out, it tunnels out to a VPN that you host somewhere else. So you can host that VPN on something like DigitalOcean. The Peplink will VPN out, connect out to DigitalOcean, and that becomes your entry and exit point. Now, it doesn't matter if you're going through the Verizon SIM card, the T-Mobile the, the SIM card, the Sprint SIM card. It's all tunneling back to this one endpoint, and so this is where you're egress and, and uh, is onto the internet. Um, so you might check out Peplink, and we'll have links for you, both of those in the show notes, podcast.asknoahshow.com. Our second email comes in from Greg. Greg writes in and says, hi, I'm Greg from Houston, Texas. I wanted to provide some feedback regarding the issue reported back in episode 305. A while back, I had a similar issue with my mortgage. Suddenly, one day when I was able to submit the payment, I was able to log into the site 
navigate through my statements and everything just like normal. But the moment I would go to the payment process, I would select the account, pick the right account to pick the money from, and specifically the date to execute the transfer, and nothing happens. First, I thought it was something happened with the browser, so I changed browsers. Same thing. Then I thought, must be something to do with the computer. I moved to a different computer. Same result. Then I turned on my cellular hotspot, and all of a sudden, no issues. A month passed. Have to pay again. Went through the same process. A few months doing the same thing. I decided the same trick. Problem after troubleshooting with DevTools is I found that the pay again went through the same pro. Or excuse me. I found some web calls being filtered through my pie hole. I guess at some point I had updated the definitions and it started to block some endpoints. After whitelisting, issue resolved. For reference, I used PNC Bank Mortgage and I had to whitelist assets. Adobe TM. Well, Adobe DTM.com. Kind regards, Greg. So I appreciate that, Greg. I suppose as it relates to our friend back from episode 305, I suppose if he were having the kind of trouble in where uh, he had a pie hole running, I suppose that would be something to look into. We didn't have that information. If that was running, that information wasn't available to us at the time when we answered the question. Definitely something to look into, though. Our third email comes in from RV. RV writes in and says, hi, Noah and friends, about your IR remote stuff that you talked about in the show. I'm wondering if you've ever heard about HDMI CEC. Essentially, HDMI CEC allows you to control other devices over the existing HDMI connection and cable. I personally use HDMI CEC for everything, and it works amazingly well. So here's the deal. Uh, RV, I'm familiar with it. I have it in my living room. In fact, I have it in my bedroom. And Steve and I were talking about this before the show. It is one of those things where I bought a new TV and I turned the TV on. And if I, my my, my memory says that CEC was automatically on on the TV and I turned the Nvidia shield on and there was this little option for CC. And I think maybe I had to turn that one on, but then from there on out, I would just shut one of the devices off and the other one shut off. And I didn't really understand how it worked. I was just like, well, that's kind of neat. And in my head, it, to be honest with you, there was a moment where I kind of stopped and went, I don't really understand how that works. That feels like a magic script. I don't care. And then I just haven't thought to turn it off. So it's not something I would rely on because I, not because it's a bad technology. It's certainly in a lot of things and maybe it's the, the, the bee's knees. I'm just, I'm old fashioned and I like to understand how the things work. I also, oh, by the way, like things to be modular. And so what do I do when I have a source that doesn't support uh, CEC? How do I, how do I tie those things in? But absolutely a great option if you're using all stuff that has CEC and all you have to do is turn it on. He, uh, RV also includes a link to HDMI 2.0 and talking about uh, HDMI over Ethernet. And so uh, we'll have some links for you in the show notes. You can find those at podcast.asknoahshow.com. The, the long and the short of it is it allows you to connect the Ethernet cable to your TV and get network access to TV, which requires you to run a lot less wire because you're just running uh, Cat5 and uh, not cable TV. Now, I want to just pause there and kind of put my own little flavor on this. That's true. And in fact, cable companies are switching over to an IPTV or IP receiver. And so you're not getting like a traditional cable tuner. You're getting it really. It's an IP decoder. Uh, and they're switching over to that. And they're, they're, they're pushing that out. So if you sign up for cable TV, now it's still getting delivered over an Internet box, just like your, your favorite streaming service. The reason that I point that out is, is twofold. One is you're right to say, you know, run cat five to the TV. And I would do that. I personally would also still run RG six to the TV. That is your traditional coax. Why? Because 
RG6 is a quad shielded cable that can carry a, a, a digital video signal. And so even if you're not using it for cable TV, you can purchase uh, BNC ends and crimp them on and use it as an SDI cable. Now you have the ability to send an unencrypted video, high definition video s- signal anywhere in your house. RG6 cable is not that expensive. You're already running it to the TV anyway. And then with a converter on each end, you could send any source to any TV in the house. So if it were me, I would still run RG6 to the TVs and I would use them as SDI runs, just not cable TV runs. But yes, have definitely have your uh, uh, your your Ethernet there because that is going to be the predominant way people connect. What's the catch with uh, running the unencrypted um, HDMI signal? So, for example... Uh, there, are, there are some sources that won't play, for example, if you don't have the right HDMI spec or right. that sort of stuff. What kind of catches are we talking about? Yeah, that's a great question. So HDMI by default contains copyright protection stuff. So it it will try to detect, it tries to be smart and figures out what am I sending to. So if it says, oh, I'm a projector, I'm displaying on a wall. Okay, no problem. Hey, I'm a computer or, or some sort of a capture device. Whoa, buddy, stop blue screen, black screen, make it fudge, but don't let it go through. And, and and so that and you see this all the time at business presentations, right? Somebody will plug in a laptop or they'll plug something else in and they and it goes over HDMI and something just doesn't connect. Just, I can't see it. I can see it on my laptop. I've enabled it. It just doesn't show. You see, you see it a lot with Macs. Um, and, and that is it, the HDMI copy protection kicking in. When they designed digital video signals back when HDMI came out, they designed a professional version of HDMI for professional for for professionals and so large professional video studios and TV studios and stuff like that their cameras have SDI on the back of them and it sends out it has the same capabilities of HDMI but the cable's cheaper you can cut it to any length you can put whatever ends you want on it and it doesn't carry the copy protection so you need a device and they're kind of spendy um, that will convert an HDMI a typical HDMI signal to an SDI source and I can't can't think of the name at the back of my head it's a little red box um, but I'll I'll dig up the the link before the end of the show notes, but that will convert an SDI signal to, uh, or excuse me, HDMI to SDI or SDI to HDMI. In fact, you can do any two at one time. And the other thing I like about the box is it will actually re-encode the stream. So if you are ingesting a source of like 720p, it can spit it back out at you know 1080p or 4K or whatever uh, on on either side. And so you can. So the the nice thing about that maybe a bit overkill in a home, but certainly really helpful in the office environment is you can have a projector wired with SDI, everything's good to go and connected, and then have this little box that can ingest any kind of video signal you can throw at it, and a 1080p, 30 frame per second, 29.9 will come out the other end every time. Our fourth email writes in, or our fourth email comes in from Gary. Gary writes in and says, Hi, Noah and Steve. I wrote in a month ago asking for shared hosting recommendations. I was previously on Namecheap, and there were two problems with them. One, they had slow content delivery. And the other thing was their email spam filters just didn't work, though their support said things were fine. I discussed self-hosting but ended up with a different provider. I tried Bluehost briefly, and while they seemed good to host Python Flask, they required me to manually set things up in the terminal. Plus, my big question, which went unanswered, was I now need my own security and I have to pay attention to updates and what happens when things go sideways? Their solution was a pain in the tuckus. I'd be better off self-hosting. So I ended up with A2 Hosting. Price is good, chat, ticket support, good Python Flask support, and their cPanel is an easy setup. It's been two weeks and they are consistently fast and spam 
filtering is working nicely. Thanks for brainstorming with me. Your show is so good, Gary. All right, Steve, I want to head, we're going to switch things up a little bit. Kind of going forward, we're going to split the main segment or the where we would have two or three different segments into two segments, one 10-minute segment and then one 20-minute segment. So this week, we're going to talk about a frameworks for your cybersecurity platform or for your cybersecurity operations. So it's a distro called ParrotSec. And what I like about it, it's it kind of has that... Uh, that I'm a security professional and want all of the Metasploit stuff installed by default, but this time it's based on Debian. And what I like about this uh, ParrotSec in specific is they offer it in four different, five different like flavors. So there's the home edition, which they designed specifically for use for daily use and privacy and software development. And that's going to allow, I think a large portion of our audience that comes in and says, Hey, I maybe have a laptop that I want to put a little extra security on, or I want to know that it's not remembering as much stuff. I don't want to go full on tails where I'm booting off of a flash drive, but it'd be nice to have a little bit of the extra tools there. Then they have what they call their security edition, and their security edition is purpose-built for doing penetration testing and 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 this kind of stuff. And 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 so uh, they have you know uh, Metasploit and 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 Nmap and these kinds of things already installed. And they have what they call hack in the box, um, which is the idea is to try to have a pawn box that you can break into. They offer they also offer three other versions, Cloud Edition, the Architect and Raspberry Pi. You can learn more on their site at parrotsec.org. But seems to be like a it seems to be a, a distro that would make a really good choice if you either worked in InfoSec, but also wanted to have you know, a daily life and use it as kind of your daily driver. A lot of the Kali Linux of the world, they're great if that's the only thing you do. If you have like a work laptop that you're using for penetration testing and you're going out, I think Kali Linux is great. It's when you circle back and say, well, I also want to use it for practical things and use it for day-to-day stuff. Now, all of a sudden, it starts to become inconvenient because you're kind of using a tool outside the box. And so what I like about ParrotSec is they they specifically play uh, to a lot of these uh, uh a lot of these different scenarios. Eurolinux. This is another distro you might check out. This is one of... It, it's interesting, Steve. So this is based off of Red Hat. And it's a Red Hat-based uh, distribution that specifically stacks on desktop and su- a support process by this company, uh, uh, Eurolinux. And so they offer it in a couple of different forms. The least expensive is 10 euros a month. Uh, that's for one year of basic support. Then they go up to 24 euros uh, for three years, uh, $63, uh, excuse me, 65 euros or $63 for three years standard. And then they then they get up into like the two, $3,000 if you want them to do servers. But they'll provide you professional support. And they specifically market themselves towards private users, educational institutes, and public administration. And so if you work at a city office or a government office and say, hey, you know, I'm interested or I think we, our city or our state government, should look at something like open source software, open source formats. How would we do something like that and what company would work with us to do that? Euro Linux, obviously uh, 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 based overseas, but 
is a company that comes in and provides that kind of professional support. And so rather you're a private user that is doing something like I work in, you know, engineering or I work in uh, programming or I work in modeling and I need some sort of Linux infrastructure to do my work. Or if you know nothing about Linux and you just look at the virtues of open source and say that fits my business model better would fit our user base better or educational institutes and where you want to either teach programming or computer science. And again, you're looking to offload some of that support and help quote, your Linux desktop is designed for individuals and organizations that use windows or Mac OS daily and are looking for a stable operating system that maintains the aesthetic appeal of Microsoft and Apple solutions and is covered by long-term technical support. Your Linux desktop is the answer to the needs of public administrators, financial sectors, educational institutes, as well as a number of private users who value software security. And so I looked into them a little bit. I, you know, uh, frankly, Steve and I were talking before the show. The price kind of caught me off guard because it seems so inexpensive that it, it's almost too good to be true. And Steve, you were saying it might be where they're geographically based. Yeah. So they're based in Poland and the average salary in Poland, give or take, from from my understanding, is about 15,000 euros a year. So you're not talking about um, a country like like Germany or France that might make 45 or 50,000 euros a year. Um, and because of that, that allows them to pass the savings on to you, for lack of a better way of putting it. I know that Poland and a few other of the, the middle Slavic countries are kind of popular outsourcing for for development because uh there's been a move away from india and and that area of the world into uh europe for for various reasons and so places like czechoslovakia and poland and a few other places in the general vicinity have been picking up that business because the wages are less but the the staff is competent and potentially can't um has a good grasp of the English language. Okay, well, that makes a lot of sense. You know, in a lot of ways, I like this because it, so they've been around since 2006. So it's not like they're you know new to the scene. But what I like about this is there are so few organizations that really hone in on this model, right? Plenty of them. If you have a business and you need Linux servers managed, plenty of places that will do that. Plenty of software companies, plenty of management companies that will support you. If you say I'm an independent graphic designer and I use Krita, uh, who supports me? There's not a lot of people lining up to help you out. And it seems like this is a company that just might do that. So wanted to, to, to shed a little bit of light in their direction. Uh, you can learn more at their site, en.euro-linux.com. I'll have a link for you in the show notes, podcast.asknoahshow.com. The Intel Nook desktop. So this is one of my favorite uh, equipment things ever. Long, long time ago, OEM manufacturers would manufacture Intel computers. And it's so funny to me. People come up and they say, well, I have an HP computer and I have a Dell computer. And I no, you all have Intel computers. That's less true today than it was before, because now there's a lot of Ryzen on the scene. But Intel makes most of the computers. And if that's particularly true in the desktop world, you know, these these companies go through and they have their, you know, motherboard that fits into their special little chassis. And that's great. But at the end of the day, it's an Intel chipset and an Intel processor on the board. Intel at some point must have looked over and went, you know, a lot. That's fine for the businesses that buy the computers and replace them every three years. But there's people out there that want to do projects with computers. Now, building a computer from scratch. Yes, you can do it, but you have to like that process, doing the cable management and figuring all the things out. And this all this slot fixed with that and that socket doesn't work with that. And if you use this cooling thing and 
you just have to like that stuff if you're going to build PCs. So I'm stealing this quote directly from their site. Quote, you can build a smaller PC yourself, though the Nook will take out the guesswork. And that's what I think Intel has really done well here. And I think that's why you see it. Everything from uh, personal little computers that people use as replacement desktops, all the way up to purpose-built devices that people, you know, brand for different appliance-like things. Um, they, They looked over and they said, the kind of people that want to, you know, Windows pre-installed and have an experience delivered, like we can't do much for them. So they'll just have to go out and buy HP or whatever. For the people that have a specific project that they're doing or specific purpose, what if we just sold them the computer, the motherboard and the things that we make that we know will be really solid? I bet they can figure out how to put RAM and a storage device in it. And <laughs> You know what? It worked. That's exactly what people did. And that's exactly what people like Steve and I do. And you're looking for a spare computer. It's a, a nice generic entry, like it's just going to work kind of a thing. Well, they're taking it to the next level. Yeah. Well, I think that's that's kind of topical. I've been complaining about uh, various set-top boxes. And um, my little side rant here is I've been, I've been tr- trying and trying and trying to pay for the Bruins hockey. In the okay. And last year, so generally speaking, you can go and get like NFL or NHL channel stuff online. Uh-huh. But here in the state, it's um, to ESPN. And ESPN decided to black out most of the Bruins games, even though I'm literally 15-hour drive from Boston. For whatever reason, they've just decided they're going to black that out, which means you can't watch it. So I paid for this subscription. Anyways, oh, so I've been searching for this um, a way to pay for this because I believe in paying for the things you should. Yeah. So I turned on a VPN, and I actually ordered right from so there's new england sports network but you can only do that if you're in boston like the <laughs> new england area right so i i do that and i turn on the vpn on my android box and it's like we've detected that your isp is outside of new england please return to new england it literally says please return to new england because my it's gosh. detected that it's android um so how this relates to the NUC. Uh, I've decided that I'm going to replace the Apple TV in my basement that's plugged into the projector with a like a NUC like device. It's oh, probably like not this. going to be a NUC because I don't need something that that big. Okay. Um, but but looking at the cottage industry that's popped up around that, and all just so that I can pay for hockey. If I wanted to go and <laughs> if I wanted to go and find one of the pirated streams, I absolutely could do that. There's plugins for Cody, like you name it. There's there's all kinds of reams of guides out there on how to do this. Yeah. But because I feel like I should be voting with my wallet, like I actually really like the announcers that come out of Boston and that's uh-huh. the main reason that I want to do it. Right. Why do they so, not want to sell across state lines? I have no idea. I honestly thought it was like a country thing back in, because in Canada I couldn't do it either. Um, so like I turned on the VPN and I get a, a visa gift card and I sign up <laughs> and on my computer, I can do it. Right. Uh-huh. The same VPN service on the computer works fine, but they must have some hook into the Android operating system that lets them tunnel into like who the, the ISP is, which yeah. they can't do under Linux. And so under Linux, it's just like, <laughs> you know, you're done. So uh, my solution to this is to go out and spend another $200 on a little uh, NUC-like device so that I can have a Firefox web browser and a VPN <laughs> so I can watch hockey. But this, you're right, though. This perfectly, perfectly illustrates, right? So you set out to do that. How... How likely would you be to say, well, I noticed you didn't say, I'm going to spend the next three days, I'm going to order a motherboard and a case and some RAM and some processors, and I'm going to try to put the silicon in and see if I can get the heat sink. 
none of that, right? You said, I'm going to buy this $200 box. I'm going to log into Firefox. I'm going to watch my movie, which I want to watch my TV. They're, they're just, they're, they're solutions, right? Intel is great at that. Well, they're doing it again and they're calling it the Intel Raptor Canyon box. They're making a desktop big enough to fit, get this, a triple GPU. So it's large enough to fit a triple slot GPU alongside uh, 13th generation Intel Core CPUs. They support the K-series i9, i7, and i5 processors. This is going to be closer in size to like mini ITX computers. Okay, so we're we're kind of departing the traditional NUC design. But what I think is particularly appealing about this is you see people out there that have used NUCs to replace their desktop. And, and 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 the other thing that Intel does, I think, really well, they deliver on like the minimum viable price point. Yes, there are cheaper computers, but you would never replace a desktop with them. The Intel Nook is the first time that I've ever sat down at a computer and been like, ah, I could live on this. And so the concept of having that with a GPU is hugely appealing to me for a number of reasons. My daughter is getting into 3D design, really as a way to get into 3D printing. And one of the things she's come across is if she's on a modern computer, it's fine. If she's on a bunch of the, you know, we have a bunch of junk laptops that that I let the kids install whatever they want on and repurpose and do whatever they want with. As part of doing that, though, obviously, you know, 10-year-old ThinkPads don't necessarily run FreeCAD the best. Um, and so, so, But something like this is something where you're not going to have to spend a bajillion dollars, but you'll still be able to get a graphic performance desktop out of it. I have to, I had to, I have to bring attention to this to you, though, Steve. I know you're trying to cut power down in your house. Are you ready for this? The new power supply will be an F, F, SFX 750-watt power supply. I mean, a 750-watt power supply doesn't mean it's going to draw that much. It just means it has the potential to arc that high. So well, that's true. I mean, just, just because, you, like, I've got, a, I've got a kilowatt power supply sitting underneath of me, and I can tell you right now it's drawing 180 watts. Just I bet, because I, it's just like this. <laughs> I, bet, uh, I bet it'll draw close to that 750 watts if I start stacking uh, triple, <laughs> triple, triple, triple uh, slot uh, graphics card in there. Well, I mean, I have I have one of the uh, NVIDIA 360 Ti cards, so I don't have like a little tiny video card in here either. I've got mm-hmm. eight eight uh, drives in here plus a decent video card, but it's not doing much right now. I'm I'm running Jitsi, I'm running you know the software to for us to connect, and I'm running HedgeDoc. Yeah, like it, even when you're using these parts, they they are efficient enough nowadays that they scale themselves way down. And so, just mm. because I have a kilowatt power supply doesn't mean I'm drawing it out of the wall. So, yeah, that's I mean, eh, it, it, if you if you actually max draw 750 watts out of a like a little um, SFX case, you're probably pushing your heat dispersion to its absolute limits yeah so actually i'm glad you brought that up that is so okay i I guess i should maybe i should have led with this so i don't know that this has been officially confirmed by uh and by uh intel it's all over the internet they people have gotten a hold of a bunch of uh, bleak documents and uh, i mean it's I think it's fairly well established that this thing is exists and is, and is coming out in quarter four of 2022, but I don't think there's an official thing out. So with that comes like some of this is going to be 
people's speculation, right? But so the one of the things that I read, and I actually threw this in my show notes, quote, the problem with the compact but powerful ITX gaming builds is opening up for the Nook 13 Extreme boxes. These cases are often tricky to build and require careful measuring, planning, cable management to ensure that all of the components fit and are adequately cooled. I say this because sometimes a painful experience, tiny case and small form factors often command their own premium price over full-size components. The benefit of building with standard parts is you'll always have options for upgrading down the road, but for simplicity, the Nook might be worth it for someone who wants something small without all of the hassle. So what I take from that is they've done a lot of the work to figure out, here's the power supply that will fit and work, and here's the thing that will fit, and but they're all commodity parts. They're standardized so that you can maintain it. You can own the thing, and you can feel like you own a computer and not a specific brand and model of a thing. All right, when we uh, we're gonna take a, uh, a break, we'll run over to the Linux Newswire newsroom, and we will get the latest from JT. We come back, we'll go dive into the courts divided over cell phone searches. This is heating up. The longer this goes around the United States, and the longer, the more of these cases that are winding up in courtrooms, judges are are coming to wildly different conclusions and wildly different decisions. We'll have that next. From the Linux Newswire Newsroom, this is the Week in Review with JT. Jason Ekstrand of Calabra has announced NVK, a brand new open source Mesa Vulkan driver for NVIDIA GPUs. Meta has open sourced an AI inference engine that works on both NVIDIA and AMD GPUs. In other release news, Chaos Linux 2210 is out, Robo Linux 12.8 releases with XFCE, Cinnamon, and Mate. EasyOS 4.4.1 is out, and Puppy Linux variant Fat Dog 64 version 8.1.3 has been released. Sparky Linux has also released various desktop versions of their 22.10 version. And the German-based Linux vendor Tuxedo Computers has released its live ISO image of its in-house built Ubuntu-based Tuxedo OS. LibreSSL 3.6, OpenBGPD 7.7, and OpenSSH 9.1 have all been released. OpenZFS 2.1.6 has been released, Wireshark 4.0 has finally arrived, and Blender has released 3.3.1 LTS. SUSE has released its first public prototype of its new server Linux distro, ALP, or Adaptable Linux Platform, version 0.01, and it gives a clear indication of the trajectory of SUSE Linux Enterprise. Endor Labs has received $25 million to secure open-source code dependencies, and at the same time, Legitify an open-source security tool to secure GitHub implementations was just announced by Legit Security, a cybersecurity company with an enterprise platform to secure an organization's software supply chain. And lastly this week, Microsoft has open-sourced its Farm of the Future toolkit. So we try to keep a pretty close eye on what happens in the way of practical security, right? Not strapping tin hats on to the point that you, you can't see straight, but it's good to know what your rights are and how this is playing out in the court system. And one of the things I would draw to your attention is the fact that the technology is often outpacing laws. And so what you're finding is we think we have a law, we think we have a way of dealing with a set of circumstances, and then we have a situation that doesn't quite fit the mold. And we try to apply the law that we previously came back with, and then sometimes it kind of works and sometimes it kind of doesn't. Headline from the EFF.org, courts divided over the scope of cell phone searches. 
the there there there's a fantastic article from the EFF and what it does very eloquently is asks the question police generally need a search warrant to search a phone but when police do get a search warrant what are they able to look at on the phone and i've talked about this in 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 previous episodes so far as when you best example that I can think of to kind of illustrate this is the idea of coming returning from a family vacation. If you have a roll of film in your camera and you've taken pictures over your trip versus your cell phone where you have photos, you come through the security checkpoint and they say, we suspect you of a crime. We want to we want to search your camera. Well, there's a big difference with the amount of information they're getting pulling your analog camera out versus your cell phone. Most people have more private stuff on their cell phone than they do almost anywhere else. And if you don't believe that's true, then the next time you go over to someone's house, ask them if you can go into a couple of rooms and then ask them if they'll unlock their phone and hand it to you and see which question they say no to. There's a, there's a lot of stuff that that private conversations that that occur on here and so what is happening as this stuff is as these difficult cases are making their way to the courts is they're coming to wildly different conclusions so the first example is richardson versus the state and richardson was a gentleman who was involved in a fight at a high school and after a school resource broke up the fight the officer grabbed his backpack and discovered three cell phones when they uh, found that they belonged to Richardson, they went to get a warrant to search the cell phone, and the warrants uh, allowed the search for all available information, text messages, emails, phone calls, incoming and outgoing, pictures, videos, cellular site location for the phone itself, applications, geotagging, metadata, contacts, emails, voicemails, oral and or written communication, or any other data stored or maintained inside the phone. Steve, you think they covered everything in that one? Yeah. Well, with the whole any other information, that, mm. that just covers you from anything they didn't explicitly call out. It's now good. The interesting thing here is uh, stored or maintained inside the phone. What does that do for something like um, Nextcloud, which for me uploads the picture and then deletes it off the local phone? Mm. Well, presumably, if they're using forensics to get here, right, they're likely cloning the phone and then they're using software to just read through the storage device and pull all the stuff there. So unless it was somehow securely deleted, um, presumably they would be able to pull it off the, the flash chip. And so I'm less concerned about stuff that I actually take with my phone and more mm. concerned with other stuff that I store on Nextcloud as well. Like, cause the instant oh. uploads are just one thing, right? And so the phone doesn't maintain and, or contribute to things like my tax documents. Um, or, you know, if I, for example, have ID, which if I did have said ID, it would definitely be GPG encrypted, but it would still, you know, theoretically be accessible. Like there's there's a bunch of stuff on Nextcloud that uh, doesn't involve use of the phone that happens to be there. So I'm not a lawyer and I don't play one on TV, but if I were trying to be sneaky about this, what I would do is I would go see how those credentials are stored on the phone for the Nextcloud app. And if I could somehow compromise that, the argument I would make to a judge is, well, I got all other data stored on the phone, which happened to include Steve's username and password from Nextcloud. I plugged it in and lo and behold, I was able to log in and get all these things. Interesting. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, don't like it. So there's, don't like it. So they're searching this guy's phone. And it comes back that he has messages between him and a friend, and they're planning the details of a robbery. Now, full stop, you shouldn't plan robberies. You shouldn't steal stuff from other people. It's wrong. It's theft. It's bad. Full stop, right? I don't have to qualify that statement. That said, Richardson moved to suppress the information obtained for the phone and 
argued that a warrant was so general because it authorized the search of, quote, any and all information and, quote, any and all data. The trial court that he was in suppressed the motion, said, no, you aren't going to do that. And it wasn't until the Court of Appeals reversed it that the warrant was was deemed inadmissible and violated his Fourth Amendment. So the short version here is in Maryland, if they're searching your phone and the entire phone is 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 they'll just give them permission to search the entire phone. If they do that, it's too broad and they have to they have to dial it back in. So you might say to yourself, well, how do states do that? And how are they where are they drawing those lines? Let me introduce you to United States versus Morton. So this is particularly interesting to me because the EFF filed an amiscus brief, which basically says they went through and said, we file this thing in 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 support of this guy. Did I mispronounce something? It's amicus. Amicus brief. They basically say we're going to outline here are the technical reasons of why we support this position over that position. And I I struggle with it a little bit. You can read the details for yourself if you want to dig into knowing more and kind of find out what I'm talking about here. But I don't know that I would have stuck my, my neck out for this particular case. But the short version is this guy's driving down the road, gets pulled over. They search his car. They find uh, they find illegal stuff on him has nothing to do with his phone, but they get a warrant to search his phone anyway, find more illegal stuff on his phone, and end up charging him. And what he argued was this concept of the good faith exception, that is to say, a police officer gets a warrant for one thing, pulls you over or does something, and in the process of investigating one crime, discovers another, that's considered good faith, and that's admissible in court. He he argued in court that this doesn't apply there because it, the, what they were asking to search was a, a so broad and b so much more invasive had nothing to do with the original charge um and and was successful uh and so as as we kind of watch this stuff play out i get a little worried because this problem i think is going to get worse before it gets better you have you're, the, the pressure from industry isn't going to let up anytime soon to allow law enforcement to look into these stuff. And as encryption becomes more prolific and as self-hosting becomes more prolific and as pe- people kind of get hip to the idea of oh, I can use these technical tools to thwart this process, I don't know how our legal system is going to stand up to this, right? And then I pair that with, again, the technology is moving so much faster at so much higher of a clip rate than the legal system is following that oftentimes it's almost laughable. Some of these cases go in, you're like, oh, of course that doesn't make any sense. And I, so, I, you know, it's interesting. I don't know where all of this is going to wind up. I just know that it it increasingly puts us into a worse position. And the positive side of all of this is companies like Google and Apple are starting to, they're starting to get the message they're having to at least pretend that they're doing this right i had a, a family member ask me what do you think of ring cameras and i said i, I probably wouldn't touch them with a the 10-foot pole and she said why and i said because you don't own the footage that's on those cameras somebody else does and i brought it up on, on another radio show and my father-in-law heard that radio show he texted me and said what camera do you recommend and i had to look at it and i had to think about it because my answer would be something like well go self-host a camera system and put a, a, a poe camera in and tie it in and all the things that's fine for me who knows how to do those things and is willing to spend the money to, to get those things most people just want to spend a few hundred bucks and put a camera on their door how do you do that 
And uh, so eventually ended up recommending Eufy, which is a company who, again, they at least pretend to care, right? Supposedly, the device has an encrypted connection with the little box that is running the NVR. You can sign it to an account and you're able to get to it remotely without, they claim, without Eufy employees being able to access your security footage. So there's a ton to unpack and kind of respond to there. So first, I would say that the the uh, good faith exception, um, I agree that it should be invalid because that's like saying I pulled over somebody. Uh, I took his keys, the key. I had the keys to his house, his girlfriend's house and the office. And I just <laughs> yes. used them to unlock all of those places <laughs> because obviously that's in good faith because yeah. I should be able to, you know, do that because he had that information on or mm-hmm. like. I took his RFID tag and just walked into the secure room and in the server room and found all of these bad things his company was doing. That's good faith, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Uh, I don't see any real uh, value in that argument, especially like because that's essentially what you've done. You found a key to other things. And instead of, you know, like that's not good faith. It wasn't just laying around. It's not like his his phone was unlocked with the thing that said, I did bad stuff. And here's all of the things like. You had to take that key and go look somewhere. So I think there's something like that. For the what camera do you recommend, I would honestly say none of them. Yeah. And people are like, well, this doesn't, you know, that's not really a valid answer, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, it is. Like if you if someone walked up to you and said, I wanted to mount an automated machine gun on the outside of my house and this person isn't even competent enough to wield a knife. You're not going to then go and be like, well, you know. Automatic machine gun with automatic aiming, like a computer yeah. system that can target for them because they're not competent. To, right. That's what right. you're going to say. Yeah. And and so, like, I'm not going to then go get them like an AK-47 be like, here you go, you know, or. Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. So, like, if you're not. And it's the same thing with chainsaw. Like, I want to cut down tree. OK, then hire somebody to do it. Well. Well, which chainsaw do you recommend? None, because you'll probably cut your foot off. Mm, like, mm. you don't know how to do this. And so there are the answer to some things as as galling or as offensive, and air quotes as that might be, is just like, you know what? I'm just not capable of, of, of doing this. Like, if, you, if I went and said, well, which car lift should I get? Your answer should be none, because I have no mechanical skill and no car skill whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> like... There's, that's yeah. just the end of the story. I, I, you're not, you're not wrong. I, could, I could definitely see that that side of it. I think, in absence of any answer, they likely would have just wound up with a ring. And if I have the opportunity to try to gain a lesser evil, I guess I feel like there's a technical responsibility there to uncover that. Maybe that's misguided though, because I can't actually, with good faith, look you in the eye and be like, "Well, I'd put UFI cameras in my house." Yeah. So the thing. That I, uh, when people address this to me, I say it like this. Okay. So if your neighbor across the street has a ring camera, are you okay with the fact that anybody can see just anything that you do in your front yard? Mm-hmm. And do you really want that to proliferate? Like, mm. you don't have the technical skill to lock that down and prevent other people from um, viewing that. Neither do your neighbors. And so, really, is the camera the actual way to go about this? I don't think so. Like, there you know are other. You know what's funny about your particular example is this entire situation that came up came up because something bad happened and their neighbor across the street had a ring camera and they were able to get him the footage. Yeah. How's I, that for car? Like, jeez. Yeah. I mean, it, I it's hard to end. argue against, but at the same time, it's like, so 
my area is very kid friendly mm-hmm. and everybody everybody in our neighborhood knows that it's a kid friendly neighborhood mm-hmm. and there are some young kids and sometimes just strolling down the street you'll see a young kid running naked across the front yard from some neighbor mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. we all know that nobody like that's that's just a thing do you really want that broadcast on the internet yeah. do you want to be stored uh, on your account yeah. yeah. Like, do you really want like pictures of naked kids, which is nothing that you could deal with? Like, not your fault, but just like the person across the street from you just has a naked kid running across the lawn. Like, now you've got child porn. Have fun with that. Yeah. Uh, no, you're you're not wrong. There are decidedly problems. And like I said, anytime you have a cloud service, it's not your camera. It's not your footage. So, I, I mean, it gets there. And But the truth is, like, these these are these people's phones. And that's part of what bothers me about this story, right? They paid for the phone. They are Google's customer. They are Apple's customer. And in the process of doing that, because they trusted those platforms and because they put their information on those platforms, there's a whole patchwork of laws now that, that come into play. I... <sighs> And again, this is not the case I would have done it in, but I deeply respect the fact that the EFF takes the time to say, look, courts, lawyers and judges likely are not equipped to answer these complicated technical questions. They don't even understand the technology, let it alone the socio, uh, you know, factors that play into this stuff. And so if we can write these kind of briefs to give to them and show them here is here is a reasonable approach to take and here's why and they have their lawyers craft that that i think is our best opportunity to kind of move the needle forward and we should be exceedingly grateful that there are organizations like the eff that show up to help out with stuff like this and that they have lawyers on staff that will write letters like this and insert themselves into these cases that occur around the country to say hey you can't just do whatever you want to people's uh to to, to people's stuff so there there are some actions that you can take um now again like noah i'm not a lawyer um Every jurisdiction has their own laws about whether or not something is considered a password. In mm. Canada, your fingerprint is not, compi- not considered a password. So if you unlock your phone with your fingerprint, they can compel you to do that. Mm. They can't compel you to, do, uh, to put in your physical password. Okay. Right? Um, and so the workaround for that is reboot your phone before going through like a security line. Because yeah. rebooting your phone doesn't allow you to unlock it with biometrics, plus or minus. Um, and and so then they can't they can't compel you to do that now they you know it's the old xkcd com, uh, comic that's the guy pulls out a hammer <laughs> you know the three dollar hammer to protect the phone like, well they might be able to be able to put pressure on you to actually do it yourself but you know if you if you what if really, i forgot what if i don't remember i don't recall oh man i had that like <laughs> for real for honestly oh, sure i was you traveling do, no i was so i was traveling and um I had I had gotten a new phone recently, like within two or three weeks of traveling, and uh-huh. I I had just been using the 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 biometrics, like the fingerprint, uh-huh. and then you know how every so often it's just like you have to put your password back in, right? And I couldn't remember it, and so oh, no. I I, uh, I got on my computer and I'm sending my my wife a message like, do you remember what I set my password <laughs> to on my phone? <laughs> Like I can't get into my phone and I won't be home for another 11 days. Like I, and I suppose I every time you this. do it and it fails, then you go, you get that much more like, Oh gosh, I really have forgotten it. 
Well, yeah, and then there's a back-off timer, and then eventually if you exceed the back-off timer, uh, it will wipe the phone. So, huh. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you were able to get back into your phone. I'm glad that you're able to keep your phone decrypted, and that is, that's good advice. Reboot the phone because it it'll, it'll help keep you one step safer uh, than what you would be without it. Um, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. I was waiting until the end of the program to kind of dig into this. But I, uh, as of this Monday, started a new talk show on Layton Broadcasting, News Radio 1310, KNOX 107.9, 103.3 FM, streamed online, KNOXradio.com, or on the KNOX app. So uh, 9 to noon, every day, Central Time, if you, you know, the show will largely be dealing with digging into a lot of local issues. Um, but I think there's a lot of lifestyle stuff that will play into that. And so those of you that appreciate that kind of thing, um, we'll dig into some statewide issues and every once in a while national stuff. But, you know, very likely... Uh, really focused on on local stuff but it's it's kind of exciting for me to kind of take the next step i i started a few you know way back in the day doing last and then you know stent with the l and 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 ask no and the goal here has always kind of been the same it's to serve the listening audience and so you know on tuesday nights i'm obviously going to keep doing ask noah in fact if anything was able to spend more time today on Ask Noah than I probably have since 2017 when I launched it because all I've done all of today was something broadcast related. Um, and so when when I sit down with Steve, it on Tuesday nights, it, we come here to serve you, to answer your questions, you know, always preferably live because we can just dig into issues better. And so if you can make the time, you know, we would really appreciate it. If you can't, though, you know, you send those questions in and we'll address them. You send them to live at asknoahshow.com. But Throughout, I would think that throughout 308 episodes uh, or whatever episode, what are we on, 307, uh, you've probably learned enough about me that you would decide that, hey, I'm interested in hearing a little bit about more about that on a daily basis or that's not for me. But if you are interested, KNOXradio.com or the KNOX radio app, I'd love to have you as a listener again, 9 to noon. Music in our ears means we're out of time. Thank you for listening to us. You can get the latest by following us on Twitter at Colonel Linux. He's at Linux Ovens, the show at Ask Noah Show. You can get the complete articles and references, all the stuff we use to put the show together. You'll find those show notes for you at podcast.asknoahshow.com. We record every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central at asknoahshow.com. Join us in our interactive mumble room, mumble.mindrip1.com. See you next week.